Welcome to another episode of The Working Title, hosted by PJ Harris. Right, mate. So that's recording. You got me? Yeah, mate. I can hear you. Wonderful. No, uh, no issues this time. Welcome to the podcast, another episode of The Working Title. So today I've got a uh, quite a, quite a good guest, actually. Um, him himself isn't that good. It's just the fact that he comes all the way from Dubai. Um, so Mark Sumner's coming on. He's known as Mark uh, Mesu. He might correct that in a minute on Instagram. He's a former Royal Marine, former bootneck. He's technically also a conservationist now for Veterans for Wildlife. He's an online trainer, a coach and a personal trainer out in Dubai um so mark how you doing mate yeah really good thank you bro just finished work and then uh just reeling it all in after that awesome intro mate thank you well you're welcome mate you're welcome <laughs> Need a little stroke of your ego yeah mate conservationist as well i, I need to put that on my uh, instagram bio now that's the next step that's it mate you you can count it now it works <laughs> it's done it's in the books there you go awesome mate so as I say, that's sort of a brief intro into you. And now let's get into the meat and bones of the podcast and uh, find out about Mark. So obviously you're a bootneck. Um, before then, and you're in Dubai now, um, there's got to be a story behind that. Have you always sort of lived away? Have you lived in the UK? Where's that all sort of started from, where you were born, things like that? So before the before, um, born and raised in a place called Scunthorpe for all its uh, glory in the north of England. Um, and before that, mate, to be honest, I was just a home lad. I would just stay at home most of the time. I had a job at Asda's there, night shift. Um, quite a boring life, to be honest, mate. Um, went to college, didn't quite get along with college um, and kind of dropped out halfway through um, and got a job. Started earning money. Um, and I think it was a bit of a, a niggling in the back of the head that my sister had moved away to Dubai anyway so I was sort of used to going to Dubai on holidays etc um, but I was skint at the time I was like you know I can't afford to keep going on holiday like this you know subbing for my parents um, when I was like 16 17 I think it was um, a couple of years at Asda's I think it was like 18 months actually and then niggling in the back of my head was like right you need to sort this out and I guess that is what eventually spurred me on going into the armed forces so how how old were you when you were sort of uh, your sister moved over to Dubai? Oh, man, I think it's like 10, 10 or 11 years ago now. So I was coming up to sort of 18, 17, 18 years old. Um, at the time, though, I actually went for the raft to begin with for all my sins. Oh, um, my. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, I wanted to do the, you know, the fast jet pilot you know living the dream kind of thing but um I guess I was a bit too solid for that um <laughs> went for aircrew instead went to a, a couple of acquaintances down at different raft bases um and eventually it, it got to a point where I was sort of 18 and a half and it wasn't going the way I planned you know it was just like you know back and forth back and forth not really knowing where or what I wanted to go into and it just didn't kind of sit right or feel right I don't know why I, I can't explain it um and I remember being sat down with my dad one day thinking, fucking hell, what am I going to do? Um, and he had this brochure in front of him and he was just like, oh, d just go for the hardest one. I was like, what do you mean? Like, what's the hardest one? He was like, oh, look at these, like, Royal Marines. He was like, they're pretty tough, aren't they? I was like, yeah, fair one. Because he used to play this game called Commandos, right? <laughs> this is, like, really trivial. But there was right. this one character on it that was a, a Green Beret, um, like, Royal Marine. And um, he was, like, this nails bloke like stacked on this video game you just go around slotting people on this game 
And that's, I guess, where my dad um, knew about the Royal Marines. <laughs> and he said it in this brochure, and I was like, right, I'll go for that. And then um, it went from strength to strength from there, really, mate. So that is Puck. So your your reason for joining <laughs> the Marines was you, you thought about the RAF, uh, too solid to be a pilot. So you thought, <laughs> yeah. what else shall I do? Didn't sit right. So according to a, you, you realised all boat necks are duty essence because of a video game. So you thought, yeah, let's go for that. That's the that's the bottom line of it, mate, to be honest. There was a bit more to it than that with my dad saying a couple more things, but yeah, <laughs> that was it. That's, that was that's, the, uh, that's, that's how you got into it. Um, <laughs> awesome. It was only the other day, mate, that I realised uh, where we first met. Um, and we were actually on the same PRMC. That was it, right. I wasn't sure if yeah. it was on the same, in, in the same Facebook group or if it was PRMC or something like that, but yeah because i only remembered because i remembered you ended up starting training two weeks before me in the uh that weird troop that wasn't meant to be there wasn't it seven something troop 731 the the godsend the apparently yeah so <laughs> i i joined with 139 um and we both scored relatively high in our pair mc and god knows how um, but cause I remember getting offered to start two weeks or so after my pair MC, which is when yeah. you started, didn't you? Yes. Um, so go on. What's the, what's the story behind that? What's the, like, cause well, that's really short um, time. Went on pair MC obviously. And, um, I knew that I, cause I was in the office at the time, one of the PTIs office or some office, I can't even remember what block we were in for pair MC. Um, coming to the end of it and I remember just being almost stood halfway in the doorway and there was two there was a, a corporal PTI and I think um, a stripey there um, and they basically were just reeling off a couple of names of the lads that had come like top on the on some of the tests I think it was the fitness testing and I heard my name and I was like oh fucking sick I've just you know maxed out these gym tests and everything so I felt good about that and then obviously you know you finished your MC um, you know felt strong at the end been told you've passed and then literally Obviously went home um, the next day. I think it was the next day or the day later. I got a call from the AFCO careers office, um, and he was like, "How do you fancy starting next week, mate?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's go then. Let's do it." And then uh, that night, I went and handed in my um, resignation to ASDAS, and then a week later, I was down Limston. That's so, insane, mate. Yeah, because I remember I got the call. I was actually on the platform. Like mine was the day after or two days after, and I got a phone call. Um, from my AFCO and I was on the train to Heathrow airport to fly out to Canada for like two months. And like, I got the call and I, because when I went through the AFCO, they were saying like, yeah, it's about a four to six month wait to get on a peer MC, uh, to get on recruit training after peer MC. I was like, all right, no yeah. worries. So I booked up to go to Canada and, uh, yeah, I was literally on the platform waiting for a train to take me to Heathrow airport. And they were like, can you start in two weeks? I was like, uh, uh no 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 I can't um, you said no what do you mean yeah. you said no yeah I was like not not really like and I was like but that's what I want to do and I was sort of like having the conversation with the AFCO I was like I just don't know what to do like I want to obviously start as soon as I can but I couldn't because of this anyway um what it came down to they were like okay well how about you start two weeks after that um and I like made my trip shorter and and sort of stuff like that and, and it worked but 
I was just like, and that's when I remember seeing on the Facebook group that you joined those two weeks before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was quick turnaround, but I mean, I personally, I was in, I didn't have any trips planned. You know, I had um, a few months left at Asda left. That's all I saw. And I was like, this is like a turning point here. So I was like, yeah, book it, book the train tickets, um, went out and bought a new iron and all that crap. And yeah, just cracked on with it really. And that was, that was the start of the journey. Yes. Um, the journey that has brought me here. ultimately. Awesome. So once you did get in, uh, where did you go straight after training? Um, um, and what was your what was your journey through the core? So I was only in for five years. Um, I went straight to FPG or 4-3, as it's known now, um, went straight into RTT, Recapture Tactics Troop, which were um, helping with security of the nuclear assets. And our kind of main role was kind of a CQB or the CQB element um, up at Faslane which was amazing because I guess there was nothing really going on at that time. Um, I th- there was no more Afghans going on unless you were, you know, SF, SFSG or other support groups. And for the training value, for coming straight out of training and going into a place that had a massive budget, um, a load of different weapon systems, a massive budget for, you know, range time, you know, training packages, trips over to the States, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't think I could have gone into a, a better role as a GD. Looking back on it, obviously, I'm very biased in what I, you know, experienced. Um, but I was, I felt very lucky with that. And I did get a lot of range time and CQB um, time as well, which was amazing for my skill set so early in my career as well. Yeah, I think we, uh, we were both in that sort of period where, um, and our whole generation of bootnecks, if you like, we just missed out on Afghan, haven't we? Um, and the funding for trips was still kind of there. There was still some decent trips, some decent training. Um, from what I understand, well, definitely towards my late years. And from what I understand now, that's almost completely dried up anyway. Um, but how did you find how did you find joining the Corps and missing out on Afghan? Uh, were you bothered by it? Did it annoy you? Were you quite happy what what's your feelings in that or have you not really thought about it before i think when i was going through the application process um well the whole you know journey of leading up to getting into ctc etc go through training you always have it in the back of your mind that you are going to go somewhere whether it be afghan another part of the middle east you know somewhere else in the world wherever it something happens right so that's always in the back of your mind and that i'm not saying it's solely why i joined i didn't just want to try and slot someone um far from it but that's definitely one of the factor motivating factors if you want to call it that um to go out and experience combat side of things because I, I don't think anyone else would join up saying that they they didn't want a part of that if that makes sense um yeah. so i think not being able to do it was like marred my experience a little bit but i also see myself as very lucky as well because you know lads coming out of theatre now with you know PTSD um amputations and you and you know seeing them in in that light and then saying oh I want a part of that it's almost a little bit ignorant so I can I see both sides of it but I think um there's always a, a bit in the back of my head that wants to you know do that still yeah no I'm I'm on the same mindset mate it's sort of 
I think it would be very naive for anyone to ever say, I wish I'd gone and fought a war or wish I'd gone to Afghan. Because much like yourself, um, we've been around a lot of people that have come back from Afghan, Iraq, different people, whether that's physically or mentally. Um, and some people that unfortunately we've known that haven't come back at all. So it would be very naive to say, you know, we'd wish you'd gone. But I think the key analogy that I've always heard and used is the whole footballers one. Have you heard that? Um, is it'll be like being a Premiership footballer, but only ever being on the bench. Um, and yeah. going to Afghan yeah, and yeah. Iraq is actually playing the game, you know. And I feel like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel lucky for the experiences that I had within the Marines, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And although part of me wishes I'd had that experience, I'm also happy happy I didn't. Um, for many ways so it's sort of it's one of those however i do wish i had the chance to be tested to that that extreme yeah 100 mate literally cannot agree with you more you put that into um a good little uh comparison then with the football thing i should be a podcast coach or something shouldn't i <laughs> should be mate yeah. yeah awesome mate so once you had done uh your five years you you transitioned out and you decided to leave the core. What was your theory behind or your thinking behind leaving the core? Well, I guess when um, I'll recycle a little bit, I went to obviously after FPG, I went to four, two and um, pinged for six, um, which yeah, was, it was a, an eye opening course, learned a lot um, and met some really good blokes through that and did a couple more trips um, to the States, um, really good training packages, etc. But I think towards the, latter stages of my time in the core um I, there was a lot of time where I, in between training packages i was twiddling my thumbs a lot and i was getting annoyed with myself for not doing anything else with my time but i i don't know if it was like um, a mental maturity at the time but i just didn't know what to do like i didn't know how to kind of bridge that gap between filling my spare time but eventually um got onto a pt course um with no no kind of views to leave the core at this time um, went on the PT course and then, you know, started doing some extra reading, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had a couple of passing conversations with people when I went on holiday to Dubai, um, which I do on most of my leaves or at least once a year to go and see my sister out there. And I think just word got kind of passed around and then someone kind of planted the seed of coming out to Dubai and being a, a PT out there. They were kind of saying, you know, being from this um, military background, you'll kind of just walk into a job anywhere i guess oh so there wasn't it wasn't um a case of you're leaving the core you've decided you want to leave let's look at what you're going to do it was a case of you wanted to better yourself while you're in the course you did the pt course and that sort of got round and um the the opportunity sort of came through that yeah pretty much i mean the timing of it all was just like really convenient i guess everything seems to happen um happens one after the other so doing the course and then being just put in touch with the right people at the right time I guess you want to call it that um, and it just seemed like the natural flow of things because I think um, 4-2 was going into I don't know the phases of the commando groups anymore mate um, I was going to call it backup commando it's like <laughs> R1 that? and R2 when we were in wasn't it yeah right so I don't know if the that one still is now but oh mate I haven't got a clue this is how much um, I've civilianized now but we were going into another quiet year and I was just thinking, right, I can either, you know, sort of bide my time for another year, maybe pick up and, you know, go into being a PTI 
Um, and then I was almost future pacing at that point, thinking, right, if I became a PT in the core, I'd eventually come out and become a PT in Civvy Street. And then I was kind of thinking, well, why can't you just go into, as a PT in um, Civvy Street now? Do you know what I mean? So it just kind of all happened at the, the right time. Um, and my motivation to stay in the court at that point was fairly low with so many. It was like the grass is greener, you know, and I knew I was going to move to Dubai to become a PT um, and kind of hone my craft out there. So um, that's the way it went, really. All right. So you sort of it sort of both happened at the same time, then your decision to move uh, to Dubai, to leave the core and to become a PT all sort of molded into one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've always been into, um, you know, the fizz side of things, even before being in um, the Marines. I was always into fizz. So it's always been, you know, um, an educational and physical pursuit of mine on both sides. So I always knew I was going to be in the fitness industry eventually in some way, shape or form. Like, I mean, if I was still in the core now, I'd probably still have an Instagram page like I do now focused on fitness, but maybe with a more military style background or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you were heading over to Dubai you decided that that was the route for you how did you do it did you get offered a job first is there any visa issues I know there's a big sort of expat community out there but how what was your experience in doing it and how did you go about it well I mean I find myself like very lucky as in my sister was already out here for what five or six years um in Dubai so every time I, I went and visited her um I'd always meet new people and because I was going to different gyms I'd be put in touch with different PTs and it was just like the conversation started flowing in that sense. So in terms of coming out and finding a job, I was literally offered with three jobs um, when I came out. So it was like I just had to choose one, basically. But I mean, with being a PT out here, it's all pretty much the same. You're always going to either be in some sort of gym environment, obviously, and then you just basically have to get your own clients. And I think it's down to um, how much work you put into meeting new people and getting your name out there um and just showing who you are along with your skill set to get those clients basically that makes sense are most of your clients uh expats and westerners or most local or a mixture um you know it's a massive massive variance i mean i've had literally um locals i've had you know emiratis saudi arabia i've got lebanese clients at the moment i've got russian danish literally all over the world i think i've got one english client at the moment um from my PT clients, which is strange. But no, there's a massive um, expat community out here. And obviously the first, well, the first language is Arabic, but a lot of people do speak perfect English as well, better than me. So um, obviously it's a prof being English speaking um, and being from the Royal Marines coming out here as a PT. It puts you in good stead with a lot of people. So do you um, do you have to apply for a working visa to go to Dubai or what other sort of criteria if you want to go out there? So I think it's changed at the moment in terms of uh, holiday visiting visas, I think. But as um, someone coming from the UK, you have 30 days before you um, have to go out. And what a lot of people do, it's a visa run. You go over the border to a man and you get a stamp and you come straight back in. Um, And I mean, that's if you spend that long looking for a job. But usually um, if you get a job, you sign a contract and then you're put on a temporary, it's called an e-visa um that's temporary that gives you something like 90 days before your official visa comes in and and then that's you you get medical insurance you're on the visa system um you get a identity card and, and that's you basically so it is it is easy in terms of once you get a job you may go through a short probation period but then after that that's you 
and the contracts are usually one to two years and you just renew you know as you go along basically that makes sense that's ideal so you um you mix your income up if you like in your business between in-house pt at gyms and and clients but you also do um a lot of online training and is that how you reach most of your uh clientele around the world online training Yes, online, 100%. I mean, it start, all started off with the PT side of things. Um, and then I had one client who left and went to Denmark, but he wanted to continue some kind of like, you know, coaching, you know, didn't really know at the time what I wanted or how I wanted to do it. Um, I think I used something like um, Google Drive and like a spreadsheet and just sending him workouts. And then um, I eventually started reading into it a little bit more, following particular online coaches on Instagram. And then through that, I just, you know, got in touch with some of the coaches for online coaches, if that makes sense. Um, and I ended up doing, this is a really good course. Um, it's called OFB, Online Fitness Business, by a guy called Suxidu, who's based in the UK. Um, and he basically shows you how to build a business, well, an online business as a PT um, from the ground up, literally from getting your target audience, Facebook ads, you know, to using software, um, I don't know, meal planning program design all of that it's all covered um so i invested quite heavily into this course but i mean within the first couple of months i was um you know invest what's the word i got my investment back sorry and then i've just been going from strength to strength over the past couple of years um and then recently it's just started to overtake what i earn through my pt here so it was kind of like dwindling it and like what 70 30 so 70 from 70% 70% of my income from PT and then 30% from online. Um, and then I just had like a, a bit of a, a rise in it, I guess. And now it's becoming much more online focused, which has given me a lot more freedom, you know, to travel, to go and volunteer with the Veterans for Wildlife guys, for example, um, which is really nice, that freedom of location. But I've still obviously got um, some clients over here that um, I concentrate on and gives me that kind of um, security as well here as well with the visa and working visa, et cetera. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, how do you find like personal enjoyment and fulfillment wise uh, PT in person compared to online training? Do you get the same feedback, the same sort of um, because I know a lot of people that I speak to um, or some some find that they like to do online more because then they can actually reach and help more people. Um, Other people like to do personal training more because they feel like they get more of that personal connection. They can see that improvement. What's your uh, your views on the, the both? Will you always do both? Are you leaning more towards one or the other? I think for the next couple of years, I'll definitely still have um, one-on-one clients, like in-person clients, as I still build my online PT side of things. Um, I think I'm still very like young in my, I guess, coaching career, if you want to call it that. So I think it is important to continue the one-on-one stuff because having you know just like exercise correction and you know dealing with someone face to face and your you, you kind of emotional intelligence if you want to call it that having conversations with people etc cetera, etc cetera, you wouldn't get that same um learning curve if you were just sat on a laptop you know maybe chat yeah. people through skype calls because you don't quite get that same interaction but then at the same time um you can help a lot more people online for usually a lot less money as well in terms of what's coming out of their pockets but then from my set from like my business point of view if i can help more people but at a lower rate that means i'm gonna you know get an abundance of these smaller payments which have now have obviously overtaken these larger but lesser payments if that makes sense that's from a business point of view though so i mean there's profs and dips to them both but 
for me at the moment, it's like I do need the one-to-one stuff, but the online stuff is where I'm going to be going in the next few years. Definitely a focus of mine. So it's pretty much, you know, just going where the business takes you. If it leads more down the online route, that's the way that you're going to put the energy into. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, ever since um, I've started looking into, you know, marketing a little bit more and writing emails to my email list, you know, just with tips, etc. And now it's kind of spilling into, oh, actually, I quite like writing. Not necessarily, you know, it has to be fitness orientated, but I've decided, you know, I like writing. I want to start copywriting um, and, you know, looking into writing courses and stuff. So that, again, that's like a, a brand new door that's opened up that a year ago I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even thought of. Um, so, again, it spills over into to some different avenues, I guess, which is very cool. Yeah, because haven't you just or are you in development of an ebook, or you just finished an ebook? What was that about? I remember seeing some on your social media. Ah, uh, that was kind of like, so I figured I have a one-to-one online coaching product, if you want to call it that. And that's the only kind of service I offer in terms of my online work. Um, but this was kind of like a lower kind of entry into what I have to offer people, you know, a lower price point. Yes, there's lower communication with me, but at the same time, it's focusing on building habits and the routines that you need that I think a person needs before they go into any crazy training program or going into counting their calories or, you know, wanting to get super shredded. I see it as if they don't have this in place, then you're probably going to fail. Probably. So I kind of created this program. It's just a 30 day challenge, um, very low cost, and it aims to improve those aspects. It's like the foundation of everything that you need. So it builds those sort of fundamentals at a a lower price point to sort of help people in the door into that journey. Exactly. Yeah. And and from there, they can go on to, you know, one to one coaching with me or literally they could continue doing that same cycle and get some pretty good results for the rest of their life. That is, it's not something that you just do for, you know, six weeks or 12 weeks. It's literally I say to them when I first have the call, it's like this is something I want you to cultivate now for 30 days and, you know, forever basically because it's the important stuff that you know it's not just like i said getting super shredded it's for general health and longevity of life yeah it's the start of 30 days it's not 30 days you're you're done go home it's it's the starting of of your journey isn't it that takes 30 days exactly yeah and i think the cool thing with it is people um now that I've, i've only just launched it you know less than a month ago but now people are almost getting to the end they really realize just it's really simple but once they stick to it and they have someone over their shoulder kind of helping them and pushing them in the right direction, they're like really surprised with the results and just how well they've done. Which is yeah, really just cool to see. The basics, isn't it? So it's, it's just the basics done well. Exactly. It's, all, it's like foolproof. So obviously, especially you moving further into the online uh training sphere if you like in the coaching sphere social media obviously pays a massive part of that and your page um you're hitting almost 10,000 followers so it's growing rapidly and it's is putting out some incredible content there how how did you start building that and how important is that to to your business so this is um I'm gonna sound like a fraud now I didn't buy followers right I didn't buy followers but at the time there was I remember going to this um it was a social media um call it a conference or something in Dubai and at the time I had like I don't know less than a thousand followers and they were like promoting this almost have you ever had someone really annoying that like follows you and then unfollows you on Instagram it does it a couple of times and then you follow them and then you kind of forget about it yeah. so there was a trend of this um these kind of it's almost like a bot 
um, you paid like $10 a month for it at the time. And it kind of did this, it followed a certain set of hashtags and it would follow accounts that followed these hashtags. So you'd almost like, you could be away from your phone, but it was it, it would interact with these um, accounts and then they followed you back and then eventually you'd get higher and higher followers, et cetera, et cetera. And then I got to a point where I was thinking, Fair enough. I'm getting a lot of likes. I'm getting a lot of followers, but you know, I'm still not getting leads. You know, I'm, I'm still not, you know, making conversations. I'm still not, you know, signing clients, etc. I mean, this was way before I even started with the online stuff properly. Um, so I got to a point where I was almost obsessing over likes and you know people following me and the following amount versus what I was actually you know making from that from a business perspective and what conversations I was actually having to help people. So that was where. It was almost like an awakening, if you want to call it that, on social media where you look more at the quality rather than the quantity. If that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Tom from Recon Fit made a, an amazing point um, on an upcoming podcast that likes, although they're nice and they help an online profile um, and an online platform, they don't pay your bills. You know, likes and comments don't pay your bills. People pay your bills. And if you can reach out to those people, if you've got 500 people on your Instagram and you connect with all 500, you have conversations with all 500 and all 500 buy a product from you. You're going to be a lot better off than if you've got 5000 followers and you connect with five. You know, you get 500 likes, but you don't actually connect with any of them. No, exactly. And that's a perfect example because I was actually chatting to a friend who um, is a PT as well, just on um, Facebook the other day. And we just come like comparing, um, you know, likes what we used to get versus now. Um, And I think I got like 432 likes, which is like my highest liked photo, I think, on Instagram. Um, And I looked at that and I was like, it was just me, a picture of me shredded. And yeah, I got likes, but I made nothing from that. And then I, I put a post out some point um, last year late into last year and it got something like 23 likes from it and from the conversations that I had with some of those people who liked that photo I made almost 1,000 pounds through my coaching programs and helping them online as well so from a business point of view and you you speak about the importance of conversations like that trumps likes a thousand times over yeah, I think it's a 100%. difficult balance, isn't it? Because it's, it's a double-edged sword, social media. You know, you need you need that online presence, that professional following, and followers get followers at the end of the day. You know, if you've got – if you click onto a profile and you see 120 followers, you're very unlikely, unless you know them and the content's really, really good, you're very unlikely to follow them. Click on something you see has got 120,000 followers and you go – they must be decent. I'm going to follow them. So it's still got a, it's still got a, a presence and it's still got an importance to have that higher figure. But the quality is what really matters in terms of revenue. Yeah, 100%. And I think the, the key thing to look at, whether you have 1,000 followers, 10,000, 100,000, is your engagement. I mean, if you've got, like you said, 500 people following you and 500 people are liking your photos, messaging you every day, that's, you know, 100% engagement, right? But if you've got half a million followers but one of them is only speaking to you and liking your stuff then your engagement is crap and you need to up your game all right or you've bought your followers you know so it all comes down to that quality again yeah that makes sense no that's perfect awesome so what are your before we get onto the veterans for wildlife because i think that one's going to take up a little bit of time as well because that's something that obviously we've got in common again before we do that just 
last little bit on um on your business really you know you we've touched on it in terms of your plans are to slowly transition into the online sphere but is that so you can stay in Dubai? Do you have plans to stay in Dubai and grow your business there? Have you got any dreams down the line of open gyms? You know, what's the long-term goals for um, for your business? Oh, mate, if I knew this, I would be um, I'd be quids in by now. <laughs> no, um, I think so. I've um, I've just renewed my visa for another two years in Dubai. So for the next two years, I'm going to be in Dubai. I'm still going to be PTing. Um, I have a couple of um, kind of things going on with the rugby club here because I do play and train um, the rugby guys out here as well. So that's um, kind of a big pull for me to stay as well. And the clients I've got, my one-to-one clients here are amazing. So um, I've got it really good here at the moment. So I'm going to make the most of that. And I think down the line, it's going to be something with an online business, definitely in the fitness industry, whether it's still coaching. um, I'd like to think I've now planted a seed that I will get into some form of copywriting or some form of writing in, you know, this is down the line a couple of years from now, but that is something I want to cultivate massively. Um, and that is pretty much where it is at the moment. I know I'm, it sounds like I'm cuffing it and I pretty much am, but I guess if I keep doing these basics that I do every day in terms of, you know, how I practice with my writing, how I'm serving my current client base and how I'm, you know, looking to scale my business, then in a couple of years time, wherever I find myself, I will hopefully still be in a strong position as well. No cuff too tough for Royal Way. Yeah, mate. No, exactly. That (laughs) is exactly it, mate. Awesome. So anyone that um, does follow your social media um, will know you're an animal lover. Um, And I joked when we were off off air that we're going to have a brief little uh, thing on dogs because you're always putting up or or you do quite a lot, chuck up things about dogs. um, And I'm the same. I love dogs. Um, and that leads into Veterans for Wildlife in a minute. But before we go into that, do you have a dog? Do you want a dog? And do you have a favourite breed? Any squash-nosed dog. Squash-nosed dog. dog. Any squash-nosed dog, right? Honestly, best dogs in the world. I, I, if I'm going to have to put my number one dog is 100% boxer dogs. I've had them, you know, all my life. Um, so they're definitely numero uno up there. Um, at the moment, I do personally, I do not have... Um, a dog the dogs all over my instagram um, and my sisters who i just go around there and i literally you know pick them up play with them put thoughts on um so chicks message me basically that's the only reason yeah that's uh, it mate. just for the likes <laughs> isn't it the likes and the it. dms that's it, just for likes uh no but unfortunately those dogs those two um two of her dogs have now gone to bali they are moving to bali with her um tomorrow actually so she's up in ship and going to bali and the dogs have been there um for a couple of months now so they're out of my life mate and i'm quite threaded with it to be honest well you say that aren't you didn't you just come back from bali anyway no i'm going there next week mate oh well there you go ne- so you're you're threaded yeah, and you're I'm, going I'm to see, see them next them week go, yeah, <laughs> i'm gonna go see her next week but for the time being i'm threaded that i don't really have a dog in my life so um i usually just find thoughts on instagram or i'll just go up to a random dog on the street and give it a little stroke for my oh, little fix get, get your little doggo fixed <laughs> I, uh, that's how it is mate me and the missus have started uh calling them puppuccinos recently um i don't know why we're just like because you know when you're sitting on instagram or or you're watching tv or something you see a dog in the background of an advert you're like oh it's a puppuccino puppuccino that's just a southern thing mate <laughs> never heard that word before in my life mate never have i i have no idea where it's come from probably like, just came out of nowhere yeah anyway um so that 
that shows you are an animal lover. Um, and recently you volunteered for Veterans for Wildlife. So give us a, a little bit of a uh, rundown on your experience, what it was, how you found it, and uh, what motivated you to do it. Um, I think, obviously, being ex-bootneck, a lot of lads do go into CP, um, you know, anti-poaching, that kind of, you know, step onwards from the core. Um, so I, I did follow a few accounts of just lads I don't know who they were associated with or whatever, but I knew it was into, you know, anti-poaching. And then I think Veterans for Wildlife, that came, that was through you, mate, because this is why you as a godsend coming into my life. Because obviously you went out um, to Africa um, a few months before me and I was watch, obviously watching your stories and then I was keeping in touch with you as well. And then through you, I kind of followed Veterans for Wildlife and you put me in touch with, um, you know, the right people to speak to and managed to get myself out on a trip quite with a quick turnaround, actually, um, within a few weeks of, you know, volunteering to go out, I was um, kind of welcomed out just before Christmas. Um, and, I, you know, very, very lucky to do that. So what would you, um, for people, obviously, a lot of people that listen to the podcast are familiar with Veterans Wildlife because um, about three or four of my, like, almost 20 episodes have been a referencing it um but how would you describe veterans wildlife uh, from your own sort of point of view what is it it's well it's obviously very veteran focused i mean they do have civilian roles within the the charity um but you know first and foremost prior well apart from obviously saving um animals as it were um it's for veterans you know whether it be lads who have been out for quite a while or coming outside fairly soon or even like they even take on lads who are actually still in and who are allowed to leave etc so it's that kind of ongoing support structure i guess that veterans do have um throughout the world throughout various different companies but they are definitely um one of the cornerstones i reckon in my eyes anyway of you know the anti-poaching side of things as well so obviously they they um pride themselves on essentially empowering veterans um but they also give that massive warm and fuzzy uh, in terms of you're doing you're actually doing the work um that that helps and i know different projects depend on what you run some are more exciting than others um but veterans wildlife is more of a support role or a training role anyway but how did it what was your motivation more was it to to touch back into that veteran community um, and get that empowerment of making a difference again and being part of a bigger club? Or was it mainly the conservation and helping the animals part of it that drew you into it? Or was it both? I think initially um, I was quite ignorant to the whole poaching situation, um, which I regret obviously not looking into beforehand. Um, you know, years back, I wish I got into it a little bit more, but it was definitely more on the veteran side of things, wanting to use a rusty old skill set, if you want to use that term, and get back into, you know, a bit of a sharper focus with things. You know, you've actually got, you know, you're looking for something that is very real. You are trying to deter something that's very real. Like It's a very real danger because, um, I mean, obviously with PT, it's not it's exciting, but this is like, you know, it's that step up again, you know, the same buzz you would get from being in a theatre or, um, you know, a training role or something like that. Like we had it back in the Marines. So that was definitely the initial pull in, um, along with your thoughts of, you know, the rhino, etc. And then I think from there, obviously, I had to do my research into 
you know, the poaching crisis. Um, I was obviously looking into South Africa, but then it went across the whole world, um, you know, of poaching. And that really opened my eyes to just how bad it was. And yeah, and now it's more on a, con- a conservation side of things. Um, I'd say that is even a, a bigger pull now. So it's you've got to mash together now with this kind of burning desire to get back out there as soon as I can. Yeah, mate. Now I was I was massively the same. You know, I the reason I found it was I was um, again people that have listened to the podcast will hear this story and um, probably be a bit bored. But I was literally flicking around and I googled um, volunteering for veterans, something like that. Um, and veterans for wildlife, obviously, you know, Google puts that at the top because if you put in volunteering for veterans, those two things come hand in hand. So that pinged up near the top and I was like, what's that? Never really heard of it. And I've always been an animal lover. Um, but as you said, essentially been ignorant of the poaching issue. Um, and it's essentially, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, if you haven't had it in your awareness, in your severe, then you're not going to know. So I was looking on there and I actually, through the photos, spotted a couple of blokes that I recognised. Um, a couple that I recognise because they're essentially famous now, like Jason Fox, Aldo Kane, yeah, yeah. James Glancy. But the one that really triggered it was Glenn. So I saw Glenn Stein and I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> I know that geezer. Um, <laughs> know that yeah. And he was he was essentially like a turbo sweat at um, at 4-2 when I first went there. And like we'd never really we chatted to each other at a few company like piss ups and things like that, but I'd never really had much experience with it. Um, and I remember I was on gun lines and I think I was firing like the GPMG for the first time. And he was the one sort of showing me the rope sort of thing. And that was my massive, that was my experience of it. But I remember seeing him going, hold on a minute. I know that geezer. And then that led to me applying and chatting to him and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, now since then, um, especially meeting some of the other people out there it sort of lent me more into the the conservation sphere and now I'm doing more and more with it what's your uh as you say you want to get out there as soon as possible and again to do something else what is your you know what's your balance like how how do you balance working life and going out there because for people that don't know all the projects uh with veterans for wildlife are volunteer um however they have paid they do have paid opportunities and people employed but you know for us it's all volunteer how do you weigh up the timings for both i mean it's a matter of saving saving enough money to you know keep yourself going if you go away for the longer deployments you know whether they go up to you know a few months um but i think a prof for me was again the online business because I was managing to run my online business from my iPhone from a tent in South Africa so I was still able to earn money um, obviously not as much from if I was here still doing PT but I did I, I put my head into gear and I, I saved it a little bit more just as a bit of a buffer if I needed it but that kind of kept me ticking over quite nicely whilst I was you know focused on um, you know the veterans for wildlife work and obviously, um, they paid for, you know, the flights, the com, um, and then they obviously f- subsidized food, et cetera. So that's obviously a massive um, bonus as well. And I was really thankful because I actually got to fundraise about 1300 quid to give back to them as well, because I felt a bit jack. They were paying for me to go and do this amazing, uh, amazing trip. And I was a bit like, oh, shit, how can I, you know, give back to these guys? So I managed to save, um, sorry, raise up quite a bit of uh funding for them which was a real bonus as well 
Yeah, mate. It's always great when you... When I was out there, I felt it was so weird because the impression they... Because Veterans for Wildlife is run by such amazing people that the impression you get when you're meeting these people is that you're coming there to do them a favour. And you meet all these different people and all the locals and stuff, and they're like really thankful for the work you're doing. And there was times, especially out on game drives and that, where you go, hold on a minute. Why are you thanking me? <laughs> you're literally yeah, mate, this, yeah. providing such an incredible service for me to come out and do this. And it's like, what? Uh, now, hold on a minute. I, I should be thanking you. And it's that weird mindset, isn't it? It's the whole civvies pay thousands, come back to hunters, you know. It's um, but no, they genuinely do this time, right? Because you're out, you know, on on the game drive, seeing all these amazing amazing animals, and you've got civvies coming past. Well, I know we're civvies now, but you know, and they've paid God knows how much for this privilege, and we're just there. I appreciate, yeah, we are doing the volunteering work, but it, it trumps the the work doesn't even, you know, because you're so into it. It, it just feels like, you know, I don't know, it just feels like it doesn't feel like work. I don't know what it feels like, but it's not work. Yeah, you, you crack your routine and don't get me wrong, it is a hard slog and you miss out on a lot of sleep and you do graft. But the the benefits you get from the experience far outweighs uh, any sacrifice that you make to do it, in, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think um, as well, something that kind of dawned on me as well was just how much support we have from the public as well um so when I did the whole fundraising thing I remember I set myself a target well I couldn't go any lower than 500 quid and I was bricking it because I was like I'm gonna look like an absolute idiot if I can't even raise 500 quid and ended up almost tripling it and the people who were donating to um the court I didn't even know the majority of them like I'd never even spoke to them before and they were just you know sending me money and I was like this is insane so it just goes to show how much support a cause like that actually has and I guess us putting ourselves out there um is seen as a big thing even though it might not seem to us as a big thing at the time um it is so i guess we just have to be grateful for it and the opportunities that come our way oh it's insane mate like for the uh, the rally that we're doing um later in the year like i i was nervous about committing to it because you had to commit to a minimum raising a minimum of a thousand pounds now we've had to pay for quite a lot of our own stuff as well so that i've paying for but in terms of raising, we had to raise a minimum of £1,000. And I was like, how? I don't think I know a 1,000 people. Like, how am I going to raise a £1,000? And I've almost doubled that target. Like, me insane, and, between me and Dermot, one of the partners that I'm going out with on our team, we've almost raised £4,000. Our target it's was two combined. It? And it's just like, how... It's just people that are just so generous that don't... And they just don't know what they don't know in terms of they're not aware of the issue. And then you put something out there that puts yourself out there and they go, hold on, what is this issue? Wait, that actually yeah. really is really important. I will donate to that. Yeah, exactly. It's just a, it's like you said, you don't know what you don't know and raising that awareness. And then more often than not, you will get supported. Like luckily for me, I did get massive support from all my clients. They were like, yeah, just go and go and do your thing for, you know, three weeks. We will be here when you get back kind of thing. So I was like, okay, nice one. All is well in the world. So I went and did it. Awesome. As, as we know, it's like a really difficult thing to sacrifice your own time. Um, something's got to give uh, in terms of your business, your job, something like that to be able to do that. But bearing that in mind and not sort of covering that, uh, that sort of point too much, 
if someone did want to reach out and go do conservation work and volunteer work, whether that's with Veterans for Wildlife or one of the other major um, sort of companies or charities doing that sort of thing, what's sort of two little tips that you would give them that would be able to facilitate that or two little things that only after your trip that you thought, I wish I'd known that. That's a difficult one. That's a difficult one for me. Mm. I'd say if you're in full-time employment, then obviously getting permission is numero uno. But I think in the long-term side of things, you need to think, you know, in 50 years, am I going to look back on this opportunity and think, you know, could I have just scraped the barrel for a couple of months after getting back if I was a little bit skint from not working or earning bonuses as much, you know, is it really worth, you know, chinning off the trip just for a, a bit of a better paycheck? So I, I'd kind of take that bird's eye view first and foremost and and think, you know, what sacrifices do I need to make? Are they really that big that I can't actually go out and do this trip? And second one, I guess if you are um, your own boss or business owner in, in kind of my side of things, just make sure that you can still run your business while you're out there, I guess, because you, you do have... Um, you know 3g and wi-fi every now and again so you can still run a business effectively um, or put someone in charge of it so I guess that'd be kind of my two things that I wish I'd put a bit more planning into um, but event I was okay in the end like I'm very lucky how I kind of landed on my feet with it and came back and everything just kind of slotted into place that makes sense mate so we're nearing the end now mate we're just going to have one final question it's time to get deep into your soul so oh, here we go here we go here we go hope you're sitting down <laughs> it's it's pretty much mate like i've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of ex-military guys a lot of um ex-bootnecks some that have come onto the podcast some that i've just had conversations with um and some that are going to be on the podcast in future episodes now one thing that every single person that leaves the military has in common is no one have I met yet has had a easy transition into Sibby Street, whether that be job wise, housing wise, family wise, relationships wise, or just mentally. How was, how did you find leaving the course? Did you, was it an easy transition? Was there any other doubt? Um, you know, be open, be honest, but don't have to share anything you don't want to but how did you feel when you left the core how did you find it I think I probably had it easier than most when I when I was coming out because I guess I had a job to go into um I knew that I could come to Dubai and kind of sponge from my sister for a couple of months which I did um you know initially on that setup point of things but I think still knowing lads outside massively helped me get introduced to other people as well um because there was a few bootnecks out in dubai that were pretty much at that time my only mates um so that was looking back on it that was a massive probably advantage that you know i'd try and get any lad to coming outside to make sure that you at least have that um circle of they don't even have to be i guess ex bootnecks obviously it's a massive bonus if they are because we're the best obviously ex forces people but just having ex-military guys around you with that same kind of mindset and you know the same struggles is invaluable I think and I mean now like it, it one bootneck connects to another bootneck or one I don't know para god save yourself 
um, you know, <laughs> connects to another. And it's just like it becomes a network and far beyond, you know, the days that you served, you have that network and it's there for anything like, you know, going out on the piss with doing fizz with um, introducing to, you know, new companies, job opportunities, you know, the whole like shebang of things, if you want to call it that, um, that would be, I guess, my top tip of coming outside, just making sure that you have a couple of lads that you know and you can kind of go to whenever you're feeling stressed out with anything or you know you need to get something off your chest that would be something that I would you know push everyone to do coming out of the forces awesome mate well thanks very much Mark it's been amazing having you on you've got an incredible story so far and I'm excited to see where it goes um obviously your business is online um or, or a part of it and you do quite a lot of brilliant posts and engagement on social media what's the best platform and uh, that people can get hold of you with i guess uh, instagram is mark underscore masu or if you're a southerner mesu if you want to call it that it sounds pretty cool as well it's um, masu, mate. instagram masu, masu but yeah mark underscore masu um that's probably the easiest way to get me find me a dm if you've got any questions about anything training nutrition you know coming out to dubai i'd happily put you in touch with the right people if I know the right people or at least, you know, point you in the right direction. Um, and yeah, just reach out. Always open. The door is always open. Awesome, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, if there's anything else that you want to talk about in future or you do even more crazy stuff like move to a different country or do another project with uh, Veterans for Wildlife or anything like that, we'll be sure to get you back on, mate. You're a brilliant guest. Amazing, mate. Thank you very much for having me. We appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing it back. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Working Title, a podcast hosted by PJ Harris. Remember, do something that makes you just a little bit better every single day.